Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the Managing Director of B Squared and the host of the Sendcast. If you are a new listener, then welcome to the Sendcast. The aim of the podcast is really, really simple. We want to reach lots and lots of people and we want everyone to learn more about special educational needs and disability. In this episode, we're discussing Tourette's within the education system and my guest this week is Lucy Toghill. Lucy is the Education Manager for Tourette's Action and has been a teacher for over 20 years. She is also a mum of two children with SEM. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B-Squared. We are here to help schools show small steps of progress for pupils with SEND. We cover a wide range of abilities and ages across England, Scotland and Wales. If you are a primary school struggling to show progress or struggling to identify where people isn't making progress, we can help you. And did you know you can use B-Squared's assessment software for more than just your pupils with SEND? You can now assess all pupils in one system so that it saves you time, saves you money, and it simplifies the whole process around assessment, data, and showing progress. Visit the B-Squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me to take you through our assessment software. Let's get on with the podcast. On this week's show, we're discussing Tourette's within the education system. How do you support children or young people with Tourette's? My guest this week is Lucy Toghill. Lucy is the Education Manager for Tourette's Action. She's been a teacher for over 20 years, and she's also a mum of two children with SEN. And Lucy's son has Tourette's, which does give her a personal experience of supporting children with Tourette's. Welcome to the show, Lucy. Thank you. I recorded a podcast recently with your colleague, Ioni, where we discussed what Tourette's is and what it isn't. And we also covered a few myths, and I still can't say the C word, which is coprolalia. Is that correct? That's it. Yeah, correct. Getting there. What impact does Tourette's have within a school? So it has a massive impact. Firstly, you know, on, on two sides, really. Firstly, the child. As you will have discussed with Ioni, there's a lot of misconceptions around Tourette's, what people think it is. There's a lot of hidden ticks. A lot of ticks that people might not realise are ticks, and a lot of behaviour. I say behaviour loosely because Tourette's and ticks is an involuntary condition, so ticks are involuntary, but it can be seen as being behaviour if not understood, and, and that can get children into trouble. Yep. So that's one of our main things we have, and it has a massive impact on their learning. There's, you know, this is not a an IQ situation. You know, it's not a learning disability. This is purely a neurological condition. But it certainly can have an impact and, and many barriers to learning, as we'll probably discuss as we go along. And then that's the student themselves. And then you have the impact on the school because, you know, this at times can be a safeguarding issue. If, you know, children have what, what you've talked about, coprolalia, which is the swearing tick, which, you know, not many people have. That is quite, you know, one rare side of Tourette's. Then, you know, that can have a massive impact on other pupils. Again, it's about educating everyone around them, really, to, to make sure it's normalised within school and understood, really, by the teachers. That's the thing is, I think I, 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 like many people, assumed that swearing was the biggest part of Tourette's, and most people do it, but it's not. Is it 10 to 20%? Yeah, 10 to, 10 to 20%, absolutely. But if you hear that a child in your, in your daughter or son's class has Tourette's, you're immediately, I think, due to media, you're going to think of the swearing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I would, as I would the same with my children, but it, again, it's about that misunderstanding, misinformation that the media have portrayed, unfortunately. And there's so much more to ticks than just swearing. That's just one tick. You know, there's, there's millions of ticks. 
And I, I was, it's probably a case of you want to be on the front foot, be proactively. So as soon as you have this child with Tourette's, is you've got to be proactively sharing information about Tourette's with the parents so they have a better understanding. So they don't hear from their child, there's a child in my class with Tourette's and react. Mm. The information mm. needs to be there, I would say, first, which kind yeah, of obvious, Absolutely. But... I mean, you know, because there could be bullying issues in the playground because of it from, you know, from other students directed at the child with Tourette's. There could be, well, you know, parent complaints, as you say, Dale. But, you know, we, we are very proactive and we do advise schools be proactive. And, you know, this is could be an elephant in the room. You know, it's not a hidden disability, as people may think. So the best thing is to attack it head on and offer parents information. You know, if the worst comes to the worst and we do have a child with coprolalia and the parents want other parents to know about it and the school are on board with that, then, you know, we, we do have a pro forma letter that schools can send out that, that say we've got a child in, in this class or year group or whole school, however they want to address it, with Tourette's, that they're not going to name any names, but they're going to say, you know, if you've got any concerns, we are supporting this child as we would do any other child with any other additional needs and, and come and talk to us about it. And in that letter, there's lots of links to our website and we can certainly send hard copies of leaflets for, for them to give out, you know, have a coffee morning or something. So I was actually thinking about this is would, and you've kind of answered there, would, is if you have a child in your school with Tourette's, would you, and people think of that swing, would you raise that we have a child with Tourette's, but they do not mm. have coprolalia, which is, would you raise it that way or? Not necessarily, not necessarily. I mean, coprolalia, the way, the reason why we might want to address that is because it's a safeguarding issue or could be within a school. And, and we would understand that other parents may have issues with that. You know, as, as an issue itself, Tourette's isn't an issue within school. You know, we might decide to raise it with the students in that class yep. just so that they know what, why this child is possibly acting a little bit different to them. But it's a case of normalising it, Dale. You know, we might have Harry with, with diabetes. We might have Thomas with glasses. And then we've got Lucy with Tourette's syndrome. You know, kids are very resilient. They're very accepting of their peers generally in primary. It gets a bit harder in secondary as all things do. But, you know, we want to promote that. We want to, the message we have in schools is that we celebrate everyone's differences. Everyone is different. Every single one of us in here is different. And it's about that acceptance. And, you know, the younger we can promote that, you know, fab, good schools do that anyway, you know, promoting everyone's difference. I want to slice a school through the middle with a knife and be able to see neurodiversity running all the way through it, you know, and that, and that should be the case. And certainly for Tourette's, it's a bit harder because, you know, but, but we say that one in a hundred children have Tourette's. It's the same prevalence as autism. So really, we should have the same sort of understanding and respect for that condition. And it is, it is. For a lot of the time, the ticks are harmless. They, they're not offensive. They are involuntary things which happen during conversation, during work. Mm. It, as you said, it doesn't really mean anything in terms of what they're, yeah. So we look like whistles and clicks and the physical ticks. It is just something which is happening while the learning's going on. And I'm going to say the word ignore it, which is probably the best thing to do is rather than raise, yeah. you don't want to raise attention to it. You don't want to go, oh, look, they're having a tick. Let's everyone look. It's, yeah. it's kind of, you've got to ignore it as if it's nothingness in reality. Absolutely. Again, it's that word normalising, isn't it, really? Yes. The first thing, you know, one of the biggest strategies to do in school with both peers and teachers is to ignore ticks. You're absolutely right. And that doesn't mean ignore the child. And when we say we're going to ignore the ticks, a lot of education will be going, gone into and, and time put into 
helping that child to understand that this is a strategy and it's a really positive one and it's going to help them. You know, ticks are very suggestible. So if we talk about ticks, if we draw attention to ticks, we're going to tick more. So this is why the strategy is we're going to ignore the ticks. Obviously, if a child is harming themselves or someone else physically or verbally with the tick, we're not going to ignore that and we can't do that within school. But generally, you know, if we lessen the, the attention around a tick, it will lessen the tick. So you are you're helping that child. And if we if we go for good old Pete from Big Brother. Yeah. <laughs> so you saw him, we all saw him on Big Brother and he had his whistles, he had his clicks, he had his physical movements. Is in reality that's just the way he is. And watching Big Brother, you got really used to it really quickly. Yes, yeah. And you personally went, Oh, this is different. And you went, Oh, it's just the way he is. And that's kind of what you want is you want people to go, Oh, that's different. What's that? It's Tourette's cool. Okay. And then we move on. Absolutely. And not every child is is proactive in that, as in it's their choice. You know, we have lots of resources, lots of advice we can give schools, but it has to be at the child's own pace and it has to be with the parent's permission. You know, we've got a, a lovely peer presentation that we can show in an assembly or a class chat about Tourette's and what it is and how we can help people with Tourette's. But, you know, one child might be very happy to stand up and present that themselves. But then, you could, you know, the other end of the spectrum is they don't want anyone to know. And we have to respect that. It might be that they're happy for it to be shown, but don't want to be there at the time. And that's what it's all about. You know, every child will, you know, learn about Tourette's in their own pace and everyone has their own sort of understanding about it. So it's really important, although we have lots of resources to do that at that that person's pace. And it's also, as as you said, and I only said is if you're putting the focus on them, that anxiety and that stress can make them tick more. So they might want to be able to share, but might be unable to at that time yeah also they might be and we've again talked about this i only is some it's a it's a thing but my understanding is some people can kind of hold their ticks in it takes a lot mm-hmm. of effort and and i think i only said that some can only hold them in for like 30 seconds some could do a whole day mm. it, it, suppression is is a spectrum really you know as you say some people are quite comfortable to hold in and have learned that it, maybe they've had some cbt therapy to help them with that it should be the person's own choice. You know, we shouldn't have any expectation, for example, in a classroom to expect someone to hold their ticks in because you're right. Most children don't get any warning at all. In fact, you know, if they've not had access to any psychoeducation and understanding about what a tick is, it will just come out. So it's, it's you know, when a child is suppressing, you know, it, it may well be quite uncomfortable, quite painful for them. So we mustn't have that expectation. And another thing to remember is when a child is suppressing, whether they're ticking or trying to suppress, you know, they're not going to be concentrating. And and there we are with the barriers to learning. You know, ticking is a massive distraction within the classroom for them. I think every way you go in this conversation, you can get fours and against everything. So you don't want a child to be suppressing because of fear, uh, being accepted. You might want them because it's, 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 there's a whole thing probably around that of you're suppressing because you don't want people looking at you, but you're suppressing because you'd rather not. There's a whole thing about that. So in some ways, you know, you know children who like have movement breaks is, would, would there be a situation where somebody can suppress for so long but maybe needs to go off and kind of let it out? Yeah, I mean, you know, what, what happens is with, with ticks is most of them are within the classroom are very sensory and environmental-based. So there will probably be something within that lesson, be it anxiety. I mean, anxiety is a massive fuel to Tourette's, whatever situation we're in. So it could be anxiety about the lesson or they just don't like the lesson or, you know, some sensory issues where they're sitting. Is it the lighting, the heating, the, you know, the, the, the sound, the acoustics in the room? 
So there's probably something within that environment that, that are setting off their ticks. And, you know, to, to remove themselves from that situation, we have to be very clear, careful here what we mean. You know, we don't want to be sent out as a sanction. That's absolutely not what we're saying. But to encourage a child to say, you know what, you can leave whenever you like. And, you know, I'm not just going to roam around the corridor, but actually there's a, a place in the pastoral team where when, you know, when you get there, you're going to be welcomed and we, your plan will be put in place because we already know what helps to de-escalate your tick. So absolutely movement breaks to, you know, it's about not setting this child up to fail as well. Yes. We we know that it's it, it's hard for neurotypical children to sit there for an hour, isn't it? It's really hard. So lots of schools are, are generally very proactive now with movement breaks for all. But for a child with Tourette's, you know, again, it's going to be variable. But you know, we would encourage teachers to sort of do a bit of watchful waiting and observation. I think, well, after you know, 20 minutes, that, that child's always gone into a bit of a tick, tick attack or something's happened to them with their ticks. So it's about preempting that and maybe encouraging them to, to use that time to go out and have a little walk around if, if need be. And, and as I said, you know, coming out of that situation, giving us time to de-escalate, to re-regulate, all those types of things, let a few ticks out if they're it might be that they're not comfortable to let them out in the classroom, which, you know, can can happen. It can be a fantastic tool. Yeah, because the thing is, I can imagine, yeah, if you are kind of, you want to be able to let them out. You, yeah. or you, you, okay, we are, you need to let them out. In some yeah, sense. You, they have to come out and that you need that ability. And it, as, everything, as you said, it's got to come back to that child. Mm. And as you also said, it's where they are with their own knowledge yeah. their own probably acceptance, their own fears around it all that you need to support them with. Yeah, absolutely. And that predominantly lies with the parents, obviously. You know, they, they are guiding these children through their diagnosis and, and it may be they haven't got a diagnosis yet. You know, the, the waiting lists are so long and the services for Tourette's, well, there, there are not many services for Tourette's, let's put it that way. The, the diagnostic pathway is very different depending on, on what area you're in. It's a bit of a postcode lottery. There's no NHS guidelines. So it's it's very unsure out there as to, to where we go with these children. And, and you know, waiting lists are long. So, yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of children that are not sure what their ticks are. And it could be really impactful within school because if your little body is doing things and saying things you're not asking it to do, that can create a lot of anger as well. And, and although Tourette's is not a behavioural condition, it can cause behaviour because of that if it's not understood and they haven't got the support they need. So you know, as well as helping schools, we do guide parents on getting the right support in the area. We have lots of support for that and advice. Yeah, and it's about doing what we can. As I said, we've got lots of free resources to aid that psychoeducation within school. Again, that has to be done with the permission of, of parents. But yeah, every, every child is different in that. So we've moved on to parents. I've got an interesting thought. So often yeah. with autism, we talk about masking, you know being a good child in school, but letting it all out at home. And in mm. theory, you could probably have exactly the same for Tourette's that you're holding it in all day, but letting it all out and be drained. And it's just horrible at home for that reason. Do you get the situation where actually the parents aren't being that supportive? I'm stressing probably with coprolalia. Mm-hmm. That's it. You're right. <laughs> you're learning. I have no confidence in saying that word. <laughs> Is actually they want their child to be normal and they almost put anxiety out there, which their child feels and sees and that expectation of not being able to do you end up in those situations yeah I mean every parent does their best you know every parent that's what I like to think the trouble we have is when parents don't have access to support themselves you know and they don't have the confidence because let's face it 
as a parent, you know, you give birth to this beautiful bundle of joy. You have no other aspirations that they're going to be normal. And we say that very loosely. And in fact, they are normal. It's just all of a sudden they've been thrown into this world of SEM with lots of acronyms to to learn. And, And it's a learning curve for them. And I think the hardest thing for a parent is the social acceptance around Tourette's. You know, there's still the misunderstanding, but lots of parents, and I've been through this myself with my own child, you know, we're judged by our parenting skills. We're judged by the behavior of our child. And actually, without a diagnosis, we're unsure ourselves what, what's going on. And sometimes when a, a parent gets that diagnosis, it's a bit of a relief. It's, it's a grieving process or can be for some parents. But also it can be a relief to know, do you know what? That, that wasn't my fault. There was a reason why my child is behaving like this. And now I can confidently share that with people around me because, it's, you know, it's not the expected norm, is it, from society? And unfortunately, we're faced with that all the time with lots of situations, aren't we? And I think until you get that diagnosis, it's simply just his bad parenting. Is it? Yeah, it can be seen as that, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. There's so little understanding of Tourette's out there in reality. Mm. As you said, no NHS guidance really doesn't help. No. Nope. There's not a huge number of places to go apart from obviously Tourette's action. Mm. So we've talked about like the children in the classroom. It is about ignoring the ticks. And for a teacher, in some ways, it's exactly the same, but with a little bit extra in my head of being aware of what might be causing them to tick more. So it's almost like you're keeping a monitor on. Oh, they're really, I'm going to say you were ticky today. I'm not mm. sure that's how you, what you're supposed to say. Yeah, it's fine. Really ticky today, whereas you weren't yesterday. Mm. And that's not to you to go, oh, you're doing really well with your ticks. <laughs> it's not that. It's like that trying to work out, so what is causing them to be extra ticky today? What is the reason? How can mm. we reduce it? Because yesterday, and as you said, it's barriers to learning. If they're ticking, Massive. that's going to be the forefront of their mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's the classification. One of the classifications for Tourette's is that they wax and wane. So you can have good days and bad days. And again, they will be environmental. It might be that one day you've had your medication, one day you haven't. It might be you've had a good night's sleep. It might be whatever triggers ticks for, for one person, adrenaline factors are huge in that. It could be excitement, it could be anxiety on the flip side. So there's lots of things that can cause ticks. And, you know, there are conversational ticks, there are contextual ticks. It's very complicated and it, and it can be really hard for teachers to actually unpin it. So we do suggest to teachers that they take some training. We've got a free option, a free e-learning module, which is fantastic on our website, or they can pay into sort of a staff meeting or inset training. And as you say, Dale, it's, it's really important they learn about what ticks are, what makes the child tick, what, what supports their ticks, what eases their ticks, so they can best understand them and put strategies in place to, to support them within school. Absolutely. And, and one of the classic questions we get from teachers is, I'm, I'm not sure whether this is a tick or neurotypical bad behavior. So, how, you know, how do I, what do I do? Because the advice is we don't tell children off for ticks because, of course, they're involuntary. It's not a purposeful action. Or, or verbalization and and the answer is it's hard you know I can't sit here and say that's definitely a tick or that's not a tick but through the training we hope to give schools the confidence to know a little bit more about what ticks are to get to know the child to talk to the child about their ticks you know kids will often tell you oh that's a tick or that's you know that's not a tick of course we're gonna you know some kids can take advantage of that as we all do my own kids have themselves but you know, generally kids are pretty astute and they will let you know. So it is about communicating with family, communicating with that child and, you know, trying to understand the best we can. And and hopefully, as I said, with a bit of confidence, teachers will be able to make that call as to whether this is behaviour or actually this is, this is a tick. 
that adrenaline one. So you might find that they're extra ticky when they come in after lunch or break. And it's not a case of going, well, you can't do that at break time. Yeah. It's, it's no, you know, you do that break time. But actually yeah. what we need to do is when you come in, we probably need a way of helping you re-regulate yeah. and get more regulated in that classroom and calm you down. So you're not, it is ready to learn because you're yeah. in school, yeah. but it is in reality, it's better. It helps bring them down for them mm. as well. Absolutely. Yeah, our children might need that as well. So it's, again, it's just bearing in mind what are going to be the triggers. I mean, we talked about, you talked about the word trigger. It's a massive part of our training because what happens is we can't stop the ticks. They're completely involuntary. The more fuss and and suggestions we make around it and we talk about it, the more they're going to tick. But what we say to schools is look back a step and look at the triggers that are causing their anxieties and ticks. And that can take time, you know, again, talking to the child, but realizing, you know, when are they most ticky? What 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 situation is it in the hall? Is it in the you know in the in the corridor? Or is it at this place? Is it at this time? Lots of children can get quite ticky in the afternoon because tiredness is real for our children. You know whether they're suppressing or not, there's a lot going on. So you know by the time the afternoon comes, they're pretty much done in, and that's quite a classic. It it may be that you know every every child is different. It's it's really hard to say, but triggers is a is a massive key to understanding what you know, how to support the children and, and avoid those triggers where possible. And that's the thing is, it might be that every child goes into assembly at this point, but if actually for that child sitting in there and then they start worrying that they're going to tick, which will draw attention to them in front of the whole school, yeah. then makes them think about ticking, then makes them tick, then everyone does look at that, which fulfills the prophecy. Yeah. For that child, it might just be best to not be in there yeah, yeah. and have an alternative. It's things like that. And it is, to me, that is a reasonable adjustment. Yeah, absolutely. But again, it's all about the child. That child might want to tick loud and proud and might want to be in assembly. You know, I've I've visited schools before and there's, you know, in my own child's school, there might be a child ticking in an assembly and actually none of the school are taking any notice. You know, it might be that that child's really excited about the topic they're talking about, whatever. But again, it's normalising it. You know, no one, no one actually notices because they're used to it. And that's a massive part of it. It's a bit like in my daughter's school, there was a boy who in every assembly would put his hand up. Now, that's not a tick. But there's that impulsiveness in him that you would like. Every time you're a parent, sure enough, whatever she was, he would add something into that conversation that her teacher's giving. Yeah. And you don't want to go, oh my gosh. And the second time, you're like, oh, it's just the way he is. And you just got used to it. And that's it kind is. of what we want for Tourette's. We do. We want more of that culture, don't we, with lots of things. But certainly for Tourette's, that's, that's the main thing. And thinking about, you know, not setting these children up to fail. And the only reason we, the only way we can do that is to learn as much as possible. So if we know, for example, that, that quiet places may be a trigger for a child, you know, that's when their urges might come out. It's a very expected time to be quiet, isn't it? Or reading time or, you know, the learning session of the, of the lesson. If we know that that's tricky, as I said, they might want to go in anyway, but it's, it's the child's individual choice at the end of the day. And it's about learning, you know, do they, if, if they do find it difficult and don't want to go, why should we force them? You know, do they find it difficult? Let's, is there something else they can do in that time? So, Again, it's that spectrum, isn't it, from children that want to go and children that don't want to go. So it's it's about the individual child, really. Don't you know when you have a question in your head and then you listen and you listen to that bit and you go, yeah, my question's gone. completely gone. I really should have <laughs> post-it notes in front yeah, of me. Paper and pen. Oh, I don't do paper and pen. I'm digital. <laughs> but typing on a keyboard is very noisy on a it podcast, is. so I can't do that. It is, I'm afraid. That was it. So going back to teachers again. Yeah. And as I said, you really don't want to kind of use the amount of ticks or the type of ticks the disruptiveness of the ticks um, in any way with the child. It's not a 
uh, form point thing or edge point, whatever it is mm-hmm. you get in your school. Mm-hmm. It's not about you only had one tick today. We're going to give you six points or well, you've um, you've managed well, that is nothing. You want nothing like that. Yeah. At all. No, it's it's not, you know, whether they've managed to tick or not. It, it doesn't really matter. And their ticks will be different every day. We certainly don't praise a child for for not ticking. We might give a bit of praise for saying, do you know what? That was really hard for you and you you managed that because they wanted to manage it. You know, any praise you can give any child, you know, creates that that enthusiasm to do more. And if, if it's realize if, if they realise that it's helped them and, and they can recognise that, then you know, that that's the key, isn't it? I like what you said there. If it's helped them, yeah, that's the thing. That's exactly is it. if they've gone into a situation where they're gonna go, I'm gonna tick here and actually mm. if I change move to, let's say on this side of the classroom, I'm in the sun, I get hot, I tick more, but I move myself to the other side of the classroom where I'm not in the mm. sun. Mm. What you're what's that done is they've recognizing what causes them to tick and they've moved themselves and it's not about not ticking, it's about so they can concentrate. It's that it's, it's about their changes for them, not their impact on the class. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, as much as we're here to support children we and we need to do that, we are here in schools to build their resilience, to to give them self-help tools because they can't be reliant on adults all the time. And as they go through school and college and university and, and into the world of work, they will need to build up those resilience and those, those self-help tools to do that. And the earlier we can do that with them and work with them you know the better okay so i'm going to move on to you and your son because mm-hmm. it's great always to be able to ask about the first experience so as a percentage how many of your son's ticks would you say you go okay yep yeah, i'm 90 i can get 90 percent of that as a tick is there are you always ha- when there's a new noise going oh i'm not quite sure how confident are you going yep yeah, that's a tick that's a tick oh actually i do you know what it's 50 50 there are ticks that are there all the time and and I think all all people with Tourette's will, will confirm that, you know, there's ticks that are constant that are very familiar to them and, and, and the people around them. There's new ticks every day because ticks can be responsive to things. We can have contextual ticks. Someone can say something and, and our ticks might answer, for example, or or make a comment. It sounds like it's in context. That's what teachers struggle with. You know, I told him to hurry up with his work and he told me to shut up or even worse. And But again, it's about giving, you know, people those tools to recognize it and say sorry miss that's that's a tick it wasn't intentional but going back to my son yeah absolutely you know there's new ticks every day where we go oh was that a tick or you know he'll just tell me it's a tick um it's very variable our days are very interesting let's say unpredictable (laughs) i only said she has a tick when she sees a police officer which is oh a policeman type thing so it's really nothing in it it's not at all it's just so that's not going to be an everyday tick. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be once a month's tick. That's it. But consistently, every time that situation happens, that tick will happen. Yeah. So that's the thing is it's... Yeah. What I was going at is I almost thought it was actually much more... You, but actually, if it's 50-50, that really is... Yeah. You've got to really go, okay, every time I've asked him to hurry up mm. with his work, he's responded in a negative way. But then I've watched him get on with it. Yeah. It's very reactive sometimes. I mean, my son had had a tick a while back around Christmas time saying Santa's not real, you know. And again, that was reactive to, to the situation we were in. It was Christmas, etc. A very tricky tick to deal with at home because I've got a younger child who's nine who obviously is into Christmas, as I am myself. Obviously, Santa is real. So, but, you know, so it's making those suggestive comments sometimes is can be part of Tourette's. And, and again, it's completely involuntary. It's not even something a person is thinking about. You know, that's just part of the brain we can't explain. And that's just what happens. That's Tourette's. 
And that's the bit I find really, really interesting about Tourette's because there's a whole subconscious and conscious thing going on. If he's understanding a situation and thinking kind of, but not consciously, it's your subconscious doing this. What's the kind of worst thing to say yeah, here? Yeah. And that's the thing. That's what kind of comes out. It, it can And I'm literally be. going... Yeah. That, that's just, again, one part of Tourette's. Not everyone has that impulsive impulsivity control type tick. You know, I wouldn't sit a child with that type of tick near a fire alarm at school that says do not touch because they're probably going to touch it. That doesn't mean every child with Tourette's is going to touch it. You know, we all have different types of ticks. We all have those different urges. So, again, it's, it's about getting to know your child, getting to know what type of ticks they've got and not suggesting that to them. You know, I mean, of course, even if it's not their type of tip, we might say, I'm not going to sit you there because you're probably going to touch the fire alarm. You know, we're not going to, we're not going to sort of plant that seed because again, that's part of Tourette's. You know, it could, it could happen if we suggested it in that way. But that's the thing. It's that when you're saying things like, well, Sander's not real and he is, mm. you're probably going, well, he's obviously thought of that because someone said it. So he's thought of that. And that's his, no, it's kind of that subconscious thing of, what shouldn't I say? It's like saying, don't do that. Yeah. My mum, my mum used to say the word, don't you dare. And that always told me, well, I've got Go a choice on. and you're daring me to do it. So therefore I probably should. What she was trying to tell me is to don't do it. Yes. But she, by saying the word dare, I heard it the complete opposite of do it, but you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. Again, <laughs> so. it's, it's that planting those suggestions, isn't it? And lots of children struggle with that. You know, you know, Tourette's always, or usually, I think it's 85% of children with Tourette's, will have a co-occurring condition. And one of the top ones, the most common ones, is ADHD. And that's a very impulsive control situation condition to have, isn't it? So, you know, there's lots of that involved within Tourette's. I'm going to ask about comorbidity and stuff like that. But yes, because it is, Tourette's, as I discussed before we started recording, is yeah. neurodiverse. It goes under the same umbrella as autism and ADHD. So there is quite a likelihood that if they have Tourette's, they might not have enough to get a diagnosis of autism. They may not have, but they are, they could have aspects of both along with what we think of as those ticks. Absolutely. As I said, it is a co-occurring condition very commonly. comes with ADHD, autism, OCD is a very common one, anxiety. Sensory processing disorders is 80% of children with Tourette's will, will suffer with that. So, yeah, it, it makes a very complex condition sometimes, very complex and challenging to manage within school. And again, unpicking is that ADHD behaviour, is that teoretic behaviour, is that part of their autism? And and I think sometimes it's impossible to say sometimes. So, you know, I think, I think again, understanding children, you know, ADHD is another classic one, isn't it, that people just assume you're naughty. And it's, again, very much misunderstood. We're getting there slowly. As we are with Tourette's, hopefully we will change the world. But it's about understanding the child, isn't it, actually? And and every child is different. You know, one, you might say, oh, yeah, I had a lad in my class last year with Tourette's. Well, you know, he will be completely different to the child you've got this year with Tourette's. So it's it's really important that that's understood. And I think I think if we stick that Tourette's in that, make people realise it's in that neurodiverse bubble, Definitely. then it helps people think, oh, okay, there might be more stuff going on. Mm. And again maybe literal that's so certain things you're literally it helps you think about where this is is it's under this bubble mm. so we've talked a lot about teacher supporting and you and in my head what we've been talking about is primary and as you said everything gets harder at secondary and when you have one teacher with your child for the entire year you can build up a great relationship with that teacher they will learn your child 
quite quickly and we'll be able to support them and make adaptions throughout the year based because it's not a set as you said it's not a set mm. this is my child with Tourette's these are his six t- his seven ticks and yeah. that's what you're going to get it's going to change so but that teacher will be able to adapt because they're working with that child mm. in their class all year when you get to secondary <laughs> and we now throw 20 teachers and often are not a well organized system in communicating sure sen yeah you're very you might, there, but yeah. <laughs> I, it's, that's the thing is, what I say is, if you're a secondary Senko, I get it's completely not your fault. Yeah. <laughs> I get so many things, but it is also a fact. that I have been to many schools and talked to many schools who don't do it very well, yeah. is you will probably end up, if you're a secondary teacher, with a child in your class with ticks, you'll start mm-hmm. shouting at them, you'll give them a detention, and then the ne- then you'll get a letter back from the parent going, why have you given my child a detention for being rude when they have yeah. Tourette's? And they were going, do they? Yeah. And that is when they will look up and go, oh. Yes, they do. Yes. It, it, you're right. I mean, it's a, it's a heck of a job, isn't it? In a, especially in a massive school when you've got a couple of thousand students. But, it, but it's their job, you know, and, and, and it's our job to help educate. You know, this is what we're here for, for schools to reach out to us. It doesn't matter to me if a, if a school rings me and picks up the phone this happens multiple times a day and says oh my gosh I've got this child in this class I don't know how to best support them and and we will have the answers for them you know we will have advice and support for them and students and the child themselves the student themselves so you know I would just say teachers do reach out because there's lot there's lots we can do and that's what it's about isn't it again giving the teachers I, I don't believe there are any bad schools out there I say that loosely there, there are schools that could be doing a lot better you know, I have to be careful what I say. I'm a teacher, so I'm an advocate for schools. However, it's a hard job. And our job is to help schools become more proficient and more aware of Tourette's and, and lots of other, other conditions. And, you know, I'm happy to do that. What I would say to every secondary school, if you are feeling bashed, <laughs> it's not the teachers, it's no. the senior leaders and the pressures put on oh, above, gosh, no. put on them from above, from that is where that's the problem it's yeah. those pressures so when you have half an hour to do your SEN training for the entire year <laughs> that's it yeah that's the reality and that generally we'll do this oh Tourette's ah yeah. it's that's what happens it's it a realistic thing and that needs to change but we've got a long way to go oh, and no. I don't see it changing until accountability comes in yeah. which, well this is maybe. what we've tried to address to be honest Dale because but Quite often when the school contact us, we offer training and they say, oh, we're booked up for the whole year, you know, but they need that support there and then. So, yep. you know, we we have squashed some of our training sessions into an hour staff meeting or whoever can come along, subject teachers. You know, it's not realistic to say this is the time we're having the whole school there. I'd love the whole school there. We can do that in primary, even, you know, the office staff, the the, the maintenance staff, everyone that's going to, you know, come to, you know, come meet this child in school. But high schools have it tough. You know, when you start high school, you've got hormones. Hormones are a massive factor in Tourette's. You know, a massive increase in ticks could happen around that time. Change is difficult. Transition is very difficult for all SEN kids. But children with Tourette's find that really, really hard. You know, quite often at teenage years, you're, you're, you know, you're questioning your own identity in terms of sex and gender and, you know, what, what am I about? And then dump this diagnosis of Tourette's syndrome on top of that, which is the most antisocial condition anyone can have you know it's 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 hard work it's hard work for that child and I get that that's hard work for a school so you know if we can help in any way we can we will and it is it is 
my experience in a lot of schools is mm. the detentions happen before anyone kind of looks in the SEN drive and goes, oh, they've got an EHCP or, oh, they've got there's just yeah it's when the detention happened and the pet and teach and that's thing you kind mm. of don't blame that parent for writing back like that because this might no. be the sixth time they got detention mm. but you're the sixth teacher who's found it. it's it's kind of and that's what to me really has to change it's not mm. you can't in secondary schools just say oh all the SEN information's on this drive or this share here mm. it's there needs to be a way of but there's a lot of admin work in raising it with every teacher because you've got lots of teachers lots of classes but something kind yeah. of needs to be done but it's not a big priority because there's no accountability around yeah. it yeah and, and it again you know this is where the resilience for the child comes in as self-help tools we we work a lot with sort of year six students in getting that transition correct and we have something at Tourette's action called a Tourette's passport so you know their own pupil profile if you like a piece of paper a little card that, that says this is me these are my ticks this is the reason why I may be a little bit different or you may may not be understanding me and something they can keep on them because we well know that that information may not get to all teachers and, and a supply teacher, for example. So if a child can whip out their own, again, it, you know, the, the only trouble with that is, you know, children don't want to be different and, and you can understand no. that. But the reality is that that information may not get around the whole school and we have to we have to sort of lower parents' expectations of that. It's not like primary. Primary is so different. So it's about making it real for kids, really. Yeah, and I think that's self-advocacy. Yeah, that's massive. And especially if 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 you've been into a lesson where they've really struggled before, it's going to really help them to take it as a teacher. Look, yeah, this is it is. I think if you can help children advocate for themselves, that is probably going to be the best way. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we do advocate that. You know, it might sound scary to some parents and children saying, "Oh, you've got to educate people around you," and and you know, we have many parents come to us saying, "I don't want anyone knowing." Actually. You know, my child's quite happy ticking away and we don't want the whole school knowing. We don't want his friends knowing it. And we have to go with that. You know, our advice is not to do that for many reasons, mainly because of their their, their mental health. You know, what's that saying to a child that, you, you know, this is part of you, but don't tell anyone. It's a bit shameful or, or whatever. You know, we've experienced that before. We want children to be proud of who they are. We want to say Tourette's is just one part of yourself. It's not going to define you. You are going to go on and drive a car you know, go to college, be a fireman, go to university, get married, whatever you may want to do. And, and that's the classic things that, that students and parents might worry about. It just may mean you, you need a little bit of support along the way. And and there are other organisations out there and certainly Tourette's Action can help from, from school to the world of work. We do lots of employment webinars and training and things like that. So, yeah, we want our kids to be proud of who they are, but there, there's ways of doing it for, you know, different for different people. And it is, it's probably in secondary school, you probably, you might have a child who has kind of felt embarrassed and the yeah. parents don't want people to know and that too. Mm. As they identify and work out who they are, that could change. Yeah. And you might end up in a situation where what the child wants is, no, actually, I want, I'm going to be, I'm going to own this. I'm going to be no. proud of this. This is me. And I want people to know, but that might not be how the parent feels. Yeah. Yeah, And that's got to be managed. That's going to be quite difficult. It's hard. It's hard because, you know, we, we generally talk to the parents, but children can access our website, can't they? You know, kids do. They're very, very au fait with technology. And, and there are st- there is stuff on there for teenagers specifically as well that, that can offer advice. But, yeah, we, we help all age groups, really. We do lots of things. Gosh, I mean, if we had another hour to chat to you about what Tourette's Action do, we could, we could but we do lots for families, lots for, for students themselves to, access support of, of other people around them and, and you know resources that we do have so yeah 
it's good okay so give me you can give me up to five of each five things you should do and five things you shouldn't do as a school or as a teacher gosh five things you should do talk to the child and the family find out what works at home what 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 doesn't work understand Tourette's get some training you know that's really important to, to understand you can't you know, it always surprises me that they have a child in school with Tourette's and they don't they don't know about Tourette's. You know, we wouldn't have a child in school as much as a peanut allergy now without most staff having to take EpiPen training. You know, so I feel really strongly about that. You have a child in school with your condition, you know, with a condition, do do find out about it. What else to do? Do be proactive. You know, don't don't wait around for things to happen. Help help them learn about the strategies that they can do. Do normalize it. You know, do ignore it and distract them. And, and offer that education for people around them. Do think about their triggers and, and what's going to set the ticks off and what's going to help them. And do make a plan, actually. You know, the worst thing to do is in a situation where a tick's happening and, and someone might be embarrassed or the teacher doesn't know what to do. You know, again, you're putting that focus on that tick at that time. So so make a plan. Find out what, what helps their ticks so that we can revert to that as quick as possible with as least fuss possible for that child involved. I'm not sure I've done five or even answered your question, actually, Dale. <laughs> I think that's fine. To me, there's, there's five or six in I'll there. Do. Could be bullets. They could be sub-bullet points. That's but fine. Yeah, I'm fine having that. <laughs> what shouldn't you do? Well, first of all, don't tell a child off for their tics because, actually, this is a completely involuntary condition. So it's not a choice that they're doing this. So to, to sanction a child for a tic, which we have lots of complaints for from parents that schools are, are doing sometimes, you know, it's not fair, is it? It's just not not what we do. Don't expect, expect someone to suppress, I guess. As I said, suppression is, is really hard. And there is a difference between home and school sometimes. You know, parents might think when they're exploding at home, it's because teachers have been forcing that suppression and having that expectation. Yes, that could be happening and we need to iron that out. But actually, the reality is there are times in the day in, in a, an educational provision where, you know, you feel the pressure to suppress. Everyone does, you know, myself, because... There is assembly, there is a library, there is quiet reading time. So, you know, there will probably be times when you, when children will be suppressing unintentionally or not even realising it. And then they get home. Home is, you know, non-judgmental. Home is, you know, generally more relaxed. There's no expectations to keep your ticks in. So you will see a difference between home and school sometimes. I'm trying to think of any more don'ts, really. I think I've covered most of them. Well, that one question you just hit in my head mm. from what you've just said is that that Extra, you feel you have to suppress because of mm. where you are. How do you deal with exams? So schools are obliged to meet every child's needs. And it may be that a child needs what we call exam access arrangements. So that could be, it has to be that child's usual way of working. That's, that's the wording. So we can't just rock up on the day and say, I want some extra time for this exam. It has to be recognised by the teachers involved and the exam officer at, at the school that actually this, this child rarely finishes their work and, and they thrive from having that little bit of extra time because of their ticks. It might be they've left the room, etc. So with exam access arrangements, you know, we a child could be entitled to 25% extra time for their exams. It could be that they you know they benefit from rest breaks so that we can stop the clock, move from the room, go and have a little move around, come back. It could be that they would benefit from having their own room actually because you know not just for themselves, you know, obviously the anxiety of seeing everyone heads down in a, a hall full of hundreds of pupils, it's very anxiety inducing and no doubt will induce some ticks just for the very nature. But for the, you know, for everyone around them as well, it's going to be tricky to be hearing those things. So 
it's not just segregating them for the sake of it. It's actually aiding themselves. I, can imagine, I was thinking that anxiety of just being in that room oh, it's going, horrible. don't do this, don't do this, oh. I want to do it, don't do this. It's, and I'm doing it like I so, but no, yeah. that is kind of internally, that's what's happening. Yeah. And if you're just trying to work on not doing that, whatever's in front of you, yeah. No, 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 it's not even point of even trying to write. Absolutely not. If that's how you're feeling. Yeah, and, and some children can't write with their ticks. You know, if you've got a, th- a pen-throwing tick, it, it might be their usual way of working to have a laptop. An actual fact for my son, for example, Dale, he had OCD and, and he kept turning the laptop on and off with his OCD and, and, and turning the computer on. It was just a nightmare. So for him and, and for some students, it might be appropriate for them to have a scribe, you know, someone to actually write for them in those circumstances. It, you know, it can be quite common to have a reader or a prompt in an exam if you've got your own room. You know, if you've got ADHD tendencies and you lose that con- concentration for, for someone to be able to prompt you just to say, right, on to the next one. You know, there, there's lots of things. I think I think the answer is nothing should be off the table for these children. You know, it's it's very hard to say what a child should have or does need, but a good school will recognise how they will best learn. You know, what environment are they going to do their best in? And it's about experimenting, you know, from year nine onwards, at least we should be experimenting with these kids. And it sounds awful, doesn't it, to experiment, but finding, you know, giving them opportunities, should we say, to, to learn in different ways so that we can learn, right, we're really ready for these exams. We know they need a separate room. They've got extra time. They need someone to write for them, whatever, whatever it is, you know, it, we should be able to accommodate. Because I mean, we talk about sitting in the quiet time. And I think assembly, I'm going to say the word don't really matter with assemblies, but in terms of, they, often what you do expect PSHE and social media, yeah. there is important stuff going on, but in reality for your life future, it's not important. Yeah. But yeah, being quiet in that exam and being able to concentrate quiet, you know, mm. yeah. Being in that room with us and having to be quiet and having to do all that is horrible if you're trying. So yeah, another room to me is what I sat there, but it's again, it's, it's you can't just say you have Tourette's you're going to go in a different room no. it's, again yeah. it's all got to be down to that child it does and many of our children don't need separate rooms actually they might have not have vocal tics or they might be quite comfortable in those situations we can't assume that they should have that or that's what they need it is just you know any child can have exam access arrangements they don't need a, an EHCP they don't need a, a an official diagnosis many schools will have a smaller area like like the gym and that's not the hall or a pastoral area where perhaps 30 children can do their exams, you know, a recognised bunch of kids that have anxiety and, and will thrive better in a smaller environment. You know, we should be doing this for all kids, to be fair. And we do. We do. Good. Cool. Anything else you want to mention before we go? Gosh, just to say that we're here, you know, for parents and teachers. If, if you are mainly teachers listening, you know, do give parents our details. We do lots of support for parents in the form of, you know, tick fest events, family events where, you know, you can go and have a little break away. We have support groups, both online and in person. We offer monetary grants for equipment in the home that, that will ease a child's ticks. I could go on and on and on. So, you know, please do get in touch with us. I'm sure we'll be able to help in, in lots of ways. Excellent. So thank you for coming on the show today, Lucy. No worries. We'll be putting links to things Lucy's mentioned. So we've got links to the Turex Action website, their Twitter. You can email Lucy. You've got information on Tourette's Awareness Month, training for Tourette's Action, for teachers, but also information for teachers. There's lots of information, and you'll find that, along with loads of other stuff, in the show notes on our website, which is www.thesendcast.com, or wherever you listen to the podcast. 
And thank you for listening to the show. Please share the podcast with everyone you know. We're on various social media platforms as The Sendcast, so tag us and let everyone know about the podcast. And remember, if you are struggling to show progress, if your assessment process is overcomplicated, takes too long, or you just want to see what is available, have a look at the B-Squared website or book a free online meeting with me so I can take you through our products. We have a range of assessment products to help all schools show small steps of progress for pupils with SEND. And if you're a school in England still confused by the engagement model, not sure about the pre-key stage standards or anything else around assessment, please get in contact. You can also find out about our online training, our conferences. You can read our blog or watch our webinars. It is all on the B-Squared website. And you'll find a link to the website and to book a meeting with me in the show notes as well. And if you want, you can also drop me an email. My email address is dale at bsquared.co.uk. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Bye, everyone.